Welcome back to the show, everyone. After a bit of a break, um, it's actually only going to end up being an extra week. Yeah, one yeah. week off. If my calendar, if my my mental calendar is correct, <laughs> um, we've all just—it's just been a very busy couple of weeks. Uh, we've had time zone changes, and you know we've been running this show for a while. We get caught every year by us. Yeah. You'd think we would have learned by now. <laughs> Joey, yeah. jo- Joey, can you have a word with Jacinda and get her to align these bloody daylight savings time changes? How about daylight savings and school holidays? If they aligned them, oh. it would be much easier for everyone. Yeah, yep. right. <sighs> because not only do we change here in Australia, but then Joey changes as well. So we've often... You know, one side will correct and not the other. So, yes, we couldn't do last th- uh, last Tuesday, which we normally would. We tried earlier this week on Monday, that didn't work out because we got it wrong again. And now today is Wednesday. <laughs> yep. We've, we're resorting to doing doing it in the middle of the day. This is our first daytime and, uh, record in yeah, what? So fun here. Two years, and a lot a long time. Yeah, yeah, it would have been yeah. At least yeah. I'm wide awake for this one. It's, uh, yeah, I feel I like might have, I might have something to say. I feel a bit lost with a coffee in my hand instead of a glass of wine. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The energy should be different. Mm. Uh, Brian's also going through a bit of a, 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 a tricky time at the moment with family, which I think has, let's be fair, is is taking up majority of your headspace at the moment. So yeah, you know, it's woodwork been, uh, is, is on the burner. It's been an interesting one. So I can't remember if I mentioned it during the Nick Padula um, interview. So my wife's waters broke very, very early. She spent the last three weeks in the hospital, got out. My mum came over from New Zealand to help out. And then she's been sort of in and out of hospital ever since she got released. So, yeah, it's been flipping hectic. Um, And I suppose, well, we're making it through. and I'm still getting into work a little bit, but having to do daycare pickups and drop-offs so like everything is so much harder when you've got an existing child there already but yeah i mean mm-hmm. things could be so much worse we're in a good hospital um his daycare is close he loves it and he's actually been fine with it he's sleeping really really well but this guy isn't so uh, <laughs> yeah 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 um but I suppose, yeah, like every, every parenting becomes a, a, a difficult job. Yeah, like everybody goes through different challenges with it. But the thing that it's really re- reiterated to me is that you know, when you're starting a business, you have to treat your business like a business. It's not a hobby. It's not like trying to cut your fee to the lowest possible rate. You have a profit margin in it for reasons like this, where you know your work-life balance is going to shift and you're still going to have to pay yourself because you've still got bills, you've still got overheads and that's the one thing I would reiterate over and over again to people is don't cut your fee to win a job, have your profit margin and that profit margin goes into the business so lessons for everyone but I'm kind of lucky that this year I've been really strict with that Um, so yeah I'm fortunate enough to still be paying myself even though my hours are all over the place and I've had some that's awesome some very understanding clients that are like no it's not a problem I can wait till next year and I'm like well I still need to make it so I can get paid but yeah but the clients have been <laughs> fantastic yeah <clears throat> and and like I keep saying like I've said in the last few months like I've never been busier like I'm 
Mm. I've had to turn down some work. Uh, if I'd accepted everything, like if there were no kid issues, I would probably be booked until July, August next year, I reckon. So it's it's been yeah. good. So have you got... I've been struggling with this a little lately is dealing with uh, timeline issues with jobs. I, I, we always harp on about this kind of stuff, but yep. it seems yep. to me worse now than ever where I've got a giant backlog of work I'm booked up, but everything seems to have dates and everything seems to be being delayed by, you know, things outside of my control. And it's just constant, a battle of email after email saying, you know, sorry, but this has come up. Sorry, but this has come up. How's your job going? You're like, where are you time wise? And it's just, I feel like I'm being a manager more than ever before and barely getting in, you know, making any sawdust. Is that is that mainly with the sort of built-in work, Joe? Is that like hold up yeah, on site? Yeah, I think. And... Yeah, I think you've got uh, a bit more tolerance with freestanding stuff. Um, yeah. But when when my part of a job is reliant on three other trades, and then they're waiting for me as well to get my part done, and um, it becomes a little bit stressful where you may be the the hold up to this whole build going ahead, you know, and it's like, God. You just gotta yeah. find time and get it done. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we're all just getting used to deadlines again after the COVID years, yeah. where maybe people were so prepared to wait. But yeah, like I said, I'm kind of lucky that nothing has a hard and fast deadline. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. just trying to get through what I can. And if I have a day where I haven't slept particularly well, it's like let's do the really simple stuff today let's uh let's stay away from the router table mm. let's uh let's not be ripping a couple of hundred meters worth of timber so um but yeah <laughs> yeah i'm still getting in there a bit and trying to get in at weekends and get family to help with looking after zabby because obviously lani can't really do anything she's just horizontal bed rest yeah. so yeah fun times yeah. And yeah, I apologize, well, Robin. Yes. Robin, you're going to have to edit the uh, the shit out of the audio in this because I am currently sitting in my car in the rain in the flight path at Melbourne Airport. So you're going to be I can getting hear it. all sorts of <laughs> ASMR stuff for our listeners out there. <laughs> I can read bedtime well, stories if if, this... if our Patreons uh, chip in. I'll read a bedtime story. <laughs> Goes to show the efforts we go to, everybody. So yes. I hope you appreciate this this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, back to more more woodworking mm. or woodworking related stuff. I saw a very very exciting post on Instagram this week, Joe. Yes, yes. And it's one that we've been looking forward to talking about for ages. Well, it's been I a tell long you time. what, it's been. I can't. I can't. I I won't go into the details about the awfulness <laughs> I've had to deal with to get my shed built because. Uh, I don't want to have to pull down a, a podcast because I say something that I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not another one. Which has never happened before. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> never happened before. Um, uh, so, yeah, I have framing for my my shed. Steels are up. Currently waiting another day for some flashings. And then uh, I'm told that the roof will be on by the end of the week. Oof. So... We should be shifting out of here the end of October out of my current workshop, and and that has put a whole big spanner in the works as well as, as trying to 
I think maybe that's what's stressing me out is that I've got to somehow fit my workshop move and get all get that up and running and and I'm just booked up and everyone's like give me something before Christmas and I'm yeah. like I don't know yeah if I didn't if I knew how long it was going to take me to shift I, I would be more comfortable I think but uh, I actually have no clue how long it's going to take for us to shift and be set up I imagine a week week but yeah uh, uh you know who knows I, I think I should I should be able to be doing something within a week but it won't be 100% you know mm-hmm. so so you just try to just try to set it up and sorry you just try to set it up and make it through till Christmas and then have a proper a proper reorganization so. and but I, I've go got a new. pretty good plan yeah I've got a pretty good plan and I because I don't I really hate having to do things twice yeah. so um I'm lucky enough that my dad is is on site and he's itching for something to do so he's going to pretty much be project manager and fitting out my my workshop until so I can just keep working and then you know once everything's there and the power's turned on that'll be the day we just hire a truck and shift stuff um I still don't really know how I'm going to shift my heavy things but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll make a plan <laughs> So, so they they think that the shed will be finished before October. The shed, like so, completed. So what you, those what you saw in those pictures is two days work. Mm. Um, it would take them another five days to have it waterproof once they get a few flashings, and then that's right, the shed okay. is finished. Uh, after that, we just got to fit out the internals, get the sparky in, um, and that's about it. A little Can bit I of plumbing. ask you Joe, with? Um, Insulation and heating, cooling. You probably don't need cooling, do you? Or do you? Uh, I'm going. I I scored a gigantic heat pump off one of my clients once uh, a while back, and it's a really big heat pump that had only been in use for about six months, and they were getting rid of it, and they sold it to me for a grand. Uh, I just took a grand off a price of a job and put it in the wow. back of the van and drove <laughs> drove back with it. And um, so I talked to the How guys. How many kilowatts? Uh, it's like nine and a half or something. It's yeah, twelve. Right. It's really the the outside piece is gigantic. Um, and I talked to the guys at Daikin, and they said, "Yeah, that that thing will heat and cool your workshop, no problem." Seriously. And because we're on, because we're going to have solar, um, you said you can run it all day long, and it'll be fine. The only mm. thing is, because it's in a workshop, you said the filter's going to get. Yeah, full really quickly you'll have to change you, you know blow it out a couple of times a week or something um but other than that it's it's not that bad i've got an, an ac unit in my shop um as long as you're doing proper dust collection mm. you know i would i would clean mine every three months and admittedly right. when you clean it after three months there's a there's a layer of dust there but it's not because i was very nervous about it as well when i put mine but it's it's not half as bad as you you think yeah. it is yeah so um yeah without that i don't know what we would do because i would probably have to actually properly insulate it and this just at this stage wouldn't even be in the budget now mm. um we can you know the budget has just shrunk to like what change in my pocket essentially so you know um i'm going to be lining it out with whatever i can find and probably just painting it i don't know it's going to be yeah, pretty tight to get across the line to get to a point where we can use it. But uh, I am planning to put like a showroom 
my office, turn an office and, and soundproof it and have a like a showroom type area where I can actually have clients come and see some pieces and have like a, a kitchenette kind of mocked up and yeah. do a fancy desk podcasts. and stuff like that. Yeah, and so we can have somewhere because at the, at the moment I've got no nowhere where people could see finished products and a lot of people want to touch and feel stuff and, and see what does timber look like and and um it's tricky just doing it all off pictures so yeah i think this was i think we chatted about this in the last episode but uh when i did the knife making with aiden at cutthroat knives he's done a little showroom i don't know whether he's mm. posted that much of it on instagram but when he does you should check that out is the coolest little entryway to sell your product and your mm-hmm. brand it's it's really yeah. got me thinking if i move workshops ways that I will sort of display work and stuff so you just have a wee, have a wee look at his Instagram see if he's got anything up there it's cool yeah I think it's important because because my practical side of me says I think I should just allocate all, as much space as I can to workshop space to actually fit what I need and to fit in but that that's just not really sensible because it's not nice working in just to a big dusty kind of room filled with tools you as a client you want to sit find somewhere and sit down that's a bit more professional and you can actually see what it's all about and talk where you're not shouting over machinery and mm. all that kind of stuff so um, remind us of the size of it joy 180 square meters or something was that yeah it's 200 <laughs> squares 200 like square meters yeah seven, so 17 meters by 12 and a half i think it is yeah so it's a big it's old shop a big shopper sure yeah, it, would you not be better off just not cladding the internal walls until later down the track when you can put the insulation in? I mean, you can get away in a shed like that without cladding the internals, right? Yeah, and we're we're not going to line a lot of the external like steel shed walls, uh, but some of it mm. we will. Um, and I suppose I could, but I'm kind of relying on the fact that I'm going to have this heat pump. <laughs> and it's going to work, um, and it's going to have a massive bill if you don't insulate it. That, I'm just thinking. Well, you it's, know, we've got free power, like we've got free solar power. Um, Not in the winter though. Will you generate enough? Well, I don't know if we if, if it's sunny enough. I'd, yeah, it's probably will we rely on the grid to some extent in winter, but it only mm. gets it doesn't get cold enough that we would want to be heating for more than maybe two weeks or and where i am two or three yeah, weeks right. of, of the year is cold and then it, it's mild so we'll see i mean i'm currently in a tin shed with nothing and it's not been that bad so um yeah right i'd say anything's an improvement on what i have now so yeah and uh, you, you're getting th- you're obviously getting three phase in to yes. to the shop is is that proving difficult to get a, a sparky who does that or is it pretty, uh, that's not too bad job? we're lucky that our build our house property has three phase running to it which is not mm. um, all that common so we're able to tee off to get three phase from the grid and, and come from our house to the workshop um, but the solar will be providing three phase solar from the solar as well so um Right, I didn't know you could do that. Or you could. Yeah, well, get apparently that I'm just repeating what I'm told. So um, <laughs> the people who sold it to me sold it that way. Um, so in theory, oh, in cool. the, you know, for the summer sun, sunny months, we will have like a zero power bill. Uh, the, the solar 
system they're putting on the roof of the shed is going to be enough to feed our house as well on on the property so um it was because we've run a, a big chunky power lead from the workshop up to the house the power's going to go from the workshop back to the house when it's sunny so hopefully it works out that way because we spent a shit ton of money on these giant big power cables so. <laughs> <laughs> a buddy of mine here in in hobart has solar panels and it's admittedly it's taken him a few years but the the return on it is just he he said he will never he will never not be an advocate for solar power now because it's just a no-brainer and and, you know that's down here in the south with me moving back up to queensland tropical north queensland he just said do whatever you can when you build your carport make sure it's it's solar panel ready because you'll just be able to power your entire house with it no like i'll tell you how much i paid and i don't think it's crazy we paid 20 grand and that's ten thousand for the panels, ten thousand for the panels, and then ten thousand for all the sundries and labour and all the other parts. Um, and I think that's pretty reasonable. That's not including batteries. You know, it's a whole different ball game if you want to start storing your power, and it's a whole different topic. But if you just want yeah. to be able to use power during the day, if you're home to use it, you know, twenty thousand is not a massive investment, um, and it's a great. You know, piece of um, an asset on, on onto your property, so yeah. I think it's uh, will pay for itself fairly easily. If the price of electricity yeah, cool. is anything to go by right now, yes, it will <laughs> pay for itself really quickly. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, so exciting times. I'm I'm <laughs> looking forward to getting out of this place. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I saw Brian on your Instagram. You've been working on another table. Yeah, yeah. Dining table. It's um, a dining table. Dining table, yeah. Oh, right. Small one. Yeah. It's like fourteen hundred by a meter. Right. Um, little four seater oval dining table that will be going to America. Um, oh, real? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Have you cool, really cool, cool but stressful? I just sent a piece to uh, <laughs> to New Zealand about three weeks. It spent nearly three weeks in customs, <laughs> asking me to sign up for importers codes and uh, uh, yeah, all this kind of fun. I've got stuff. one of those because I got caught out like that too. <laughs> mm. Um. So yeah, that's gonna. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure New Zealand is one of. I've, when I've sent pieces to New Zealand before, I haven't been uh, held okay. up for these reasons. When I've sent pieces to the states before, it's been the most straightforward path through customs. Whereas New Zealand, they always want you. You know, they want their timber identified, whether it's kiln dried or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they also recently they changed the threshold for that whole thing with having a, an importer's code, and it used to be two thousand yeah, dollars worth thousand, of materials. Right. And I think it's like four hundred and fifty now. Oh really? Oh, they so, told me it was. Oh, they told me it was a thousand. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it really certainly made me. Much. It certainly made me wonder whether I'm going to uh, export much stuff to New Zealand anymore. Because again, I can't remember whether we've spoken about this in a pub before. But the Inclover table that I did for Joe Mortal, there's been an inquiry yeah. for one of those for um, by an architect in New Zealand for a client. And it would have involved getting half a shipping container 
and shipping it that yeah. way. So it's going to be, I don't know, four or five grand in shipping costs. About about four um, grand, yeah, I think. Yeah. And then the Plus. GST <laughs> and the importation tax on it. So, yeah, yeah it's going gonna, it's gonna to be um, pretty hectic at the end of it. It'll be a handy grand for that table's selling for seven years. They're going to be paying a handy probably. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, with all of this import stuff, do you, when you deal with customs, are they very forthcoming with what you need to do, how to do it, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Or I'm just thinking for anyone who hasn't done this before, mm-hmm. is it something that they should be researching before trying or figuring out before they try and send? Or do you get your hand held once you've sent it? You can get a fair bit of information off NZ Customs website, but it's, sh- I mean, most of the work should be done by the shipping agent. It shouldn't involve you, but um, this shipping agent, it suddenly got deferred to DHL, and then right. DHL were sort of dealing directly with me, so you end up going through this third-party loop, which is not the most inefficient way to, um, to ship anything, but... The thing that I would say, the most important thing people need to know when shipping overseas is don't use solid timber for your box. Don't do a solid timber frame. Um, if you're gonna, if uh, you if you need if you need to batten out a box to make it more secure, just laminate strips of plywood together um, and use use sheets of plywood rather than rather than any other engineers timber yeah. boards or something unless, like that. Unless you're getting certified steam kiln dried. Yeah. Um, shipping grade timber you're yep. going to be asked all sorts of questions yeah so yeah. W- right. when I'm shipping stuff to the states they allow you to ship uh, pallets and boxes that are made of hardwood but you have to get it fumigated first so again mm-hmm. it's just more more cost whereas yeah just laminate strips of plywood together into mm-hmm. into the battens to make your pack, packing crates but, um, but typically in my experience the first time I ran into the the customs thing it was pretty good and they held my hand i was importing some hardware from the states and it must have just crossed the threshold the price threshold at the time and i got a phone call directly from customs lady saying hi i've got this package here you you're gonna have to pay gst on it uh here's a broker call this number and then you pay them like 50 bucks and they will do the paperwork for you and here's this phone number and here's my phone number and if you have any questions just call us back and it was actually for a government department outrageously easy to do efficient um Mm. yeah Uh, and i I think i had the package like two days later so a lot of international vendors that sell into australia now will add the gst at the point of sale like if you buy anything on ebay and stuff it now the gst calculation is done at their end yeah um, same here as well because it's a a tax law thing that's that's come in i think Ah, yeah. uh, the good old days when I got my shaper in before the thousand dollar tax threshold <laughs> yeah. kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like pretty busy. So the star map table. I'm just. I had a leg design that when I templated the legs and pattern cut them to shape, I've looked at them and I'm like, it's a bit chunky. So I'm going through a few design changes now that I need to run by by the client, which. I think I've spoken about it before in the podcast. It's not usually something I would do. Usually the last render is what the client gets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it might be the fact that the table's traveling so far and the client can't come into the workshop or anything like that. I just want to make sure that 
I'm perfectly yeah. happy with it and yeah I would prefer to change the leg design a little bit mm-hmm. I've had a couple of big um, re- re- requests for a couple of gigantic tables two different clients and two completely different designs but just gigantic things and how I've done a whole bunch of work what's that? how big are we talking? Uh, well one of them is just really chunky it's 2 metres by 2 metres square but everything's like 70 mil thick um, so it's just going to be this gigantic kind of you know like what did they say um, uh, it's like a country farmhouse style but it doesn't really work when it's square and, and I designed a completely different contemporary version of it and they were like yeah but how about the one that we sent you and I was like <laughs> yeah but that's kind of a bit shit I'm just are they trying out? to picture the room that that sits in yeah, it's yeah. A, I did see a picture of the room and it's big, um, but I'm not sure that it's big enough. Um, Just a really, a really impersonal dining table to be always yeah, two metres away so from the person that's facing you. Yeah. It's funny, I'll just push my chair out. That's the exact opposite. So the dining table that I've designed, I wanted to make it as flat packable as possible. So rather than doing legs on a diagonal or anything like that or having any complex joinery, it's just a cross frame and mm-hmm. it goes point to point on the, so like a cross on the oval. So there's no head of the table. Everybody right. has this exactly the same seating. Um, yeah. but yeah, two meters away <laughs> from the person obviously. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, I did all this work on this and then the lady's completely gone cold on it. Um, and the, the other table was similar to the um, ambassador's table that I did a while back. Um, yeah. Not uh, it was going to be square, but she wanted it to extend from two meters to four point four and a half meters or something. It had to extend oh. more than more than its length, and um, so I worked that out. But again, that she's gone cold after seeing the numbers. I think so. She was very keen, and then it just kind of dropped off. So anyway, would have been fun. Backbreaking. Two fun. by two meter butcher block. Yeah. Dining table. That would be. That'd be a project for YouTube. Yeah, probably. Uh, I actually, I, I've had a few emails saying, "Hey, man, you uh, you, ha- you haven't been on YouTube. Are you alright? Your family's doing alright? Like, if you, what's <laughs> happened? <laughs> what's happened?" And I'm like, "Yeah, actually, you know." I've been a l- slightly inspired to maybe pick up the camera again when I'm in the new workshop um, mm. and just start everything with the, maybe a new feel, a new style or something, but we'll see how I go. I'm just so busy again that I just feel like uh, it's just another thing to do. you got to start with the obligatory workshop tour. you got to do the workshop tour. Yeah. Maybe. maybe Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, but it, you need that break to... I don't even think it's like it's not i mean obviously you've got your your creative space that you can work in and and um you know from that perspective um it's it's important but also just from a, a, a um like a, a viewer's perspective you give them that break and then you come back and now they've got this new you know this new product that they can get excited about again yeah hopefully you know what's funny you know a, a lot <laughs> i've been thinking about this a bit I, I made my videos 
when my son I really was into YouTube when my son uh, who's now seven he was just before he was born he was around one when I really was really doing YouTube and um, and I always thought it would be cool that he, he could look back and watch these videos of dad doing stuff but I come home and find him watching my videos now and he's like oh dad I'm just watching you do this like what are you making <laughs> and, uh, and then and I have to sit there he makes me sit there and watch these my old videos and god I feel like deleting them off the face of the planet. You know, <laughs> some of them are so awful. <laughs> I'm just like, I should we never have made that like that. Joey, wait till he finds your old music. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> fetus, fetus I, in the garden, or whatever this, it was. Yeah. Yes. Fetus in the front yard. <laughs> fetus in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> So this week I've been working on a on uh, with a buddy of mine. We've built a pond, a fish pond, out in his backyard, and oh, yeah. I've been posting on about it on on Instagram. And he made a comment this weekend about something about oh I can't wait to see what the the comments are going to be like um, from the work that we've done because in all fairness it's the first time I've done something like this. He's relatively new to it, so it, it is amateur. But one of the things that I cringe about the most when I go back to my old videos is how I tried to talk with authority (laughs) not because I knew what it was but because that's what everyone did so I thought I had to do that and I'm watching myself going you are a fraud you know you are a fraud you don't know what's going on everybody must have seen through it and that oh that just eats at my soul when I see that Yeah, and I said to him that that's a mistake that a lot of people make, and I'll never. It's all about authenticity. If you're not authentic, people see through it like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw myself doing some piece of advice on one video, and I was like, "Yeah, that's fair advice," but I've actually, I think, I've changed my opinion now. And maybe while I might still stand behind that piece of advice, I'd probably do do it differently anyway, just because of a thousand Mm -hmm. other reasons. And uh, it's weird how you you know you you live and learn, but. You never think you're gonna change, but you just change. <laughs> yeah. So to talk with in in ones and zeros, and stand by it with such vigor, and then yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, so no, now now if I'm doing something I don't know about, I don't know what I'm doing, and let's see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> That's as far as my my authority goes on that. That's a, probably a good yeah. point to start with. Yeah. I'm so going back to watch your first uh, your first YouTube video now, Jerry. Man, do not go and watch my first <laughs> my my first video. <laughs> oh man, there's so many many mistakes in that video. For, I actually should delete it because there's no advice and there's nothing good in that video. It could be could be gleaned from it. Like it's just <laughs> all like this is what you shouldn't do if you're using like this really nice mahogany timber that's been sitting around. For, 150 years <laughs> you should not do what i did <laughs> like uh, yeah it is a funny one though like when we're talking about you know whether you're authentic because you're saying that you know robin it, it's not authentic because you know you're speaking with authority that you didn't really know what you were doing but is it more authentic then to keep those videos up because i see people a lot of woodworkers who sort of become sort of mid-career woodworkers who rebrand to you know they might have started with something quite i don't know not rustic but something that was quite you know recycly timber yieldy and then they've gone into modern kind of more art levels of furniture 
and you see one day their entire Instagram feed just right. disappears and then it's like boom, yeah. clean brand and it's something that I've told myself I'm never allo- I'm never going to allow myself to do it because I like going back and looking 10 years ago and seeing the crap that I was making then and looking back on it now and going yeah that's that's a good that's a good path yeah I think if you to be like you know, no other time can you in history has it's so easy to just look back and see somebody's like you say a path from A to B and it was so yeah. easy in times past just to say like this is what I make and I've always made this awesome thing but actually <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. five years ago you're like making something out of pellet wood and it was freaking awful yeah um, dodgy Instagram filters galore yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, now. maybe a better question to ask then is is that still relevant in your brand so yes of course that that's happened but is that still relevant because you now you you're, you're still affecting your brand by having all of that because it's your brand is associated with yeah. the moron and that moron was you 10 years ago but you've still got that that i, I see that on your brand I, I see that point of view but i also think practically nobody looks back past you know two swipes of their thumb on instagram you know no one's going to keep scrolling back to the back mm. um pretty unlikely it just doesn't happen because i don't do it to Mind anybody you, i still see well because i i did used to really religiously use hashtags yeah i do see people liking very very old posts it's not like they're scrolling through but if they're okay. if they've searched a hashtag which i can't remember the last time i searched a hashtag on instagram or whether they just build it into your your yeah. algorithm now um but yeah i don't again Robin, it's probably because i don't see instagram as a sales platform for me mm. i see it as a platform to engage with either other woodworkers or people that are interested they're not necessarily going to buy my work and i want to be authentic i want to show that you know mm. that i have yeah. learned something over 10 years as opposed to clean brand and then suddenly all my photos are beautifully lit like uh, like Nick Padula. And I'm this woodworking <laughs> god. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Mm. Anyway. So, I have been in preparation for my move back. I've been looking at tools. And I want when to are, When are you moving back, Robin? Uh, it'll be beginning of March. So, it's okay. about six months away. So I've started yep. started the saving process, um, and I'm trying to line up, get my tool, you know, the tools that I need all set up. So when I, I get back, I can get it going. I want to put a, pic, uh, a question to the audience, and so we can get a bit of feedback on the Shop Store Podcast Instagram page as well. I'm really interested to hear what people have to say. There's two tools that I'm looking at: the miter saw and a track saw both of which have the Festool version. Brian, you've said in the past that you're not a huge fan of your Capex. Not, not, not what you hoped it would be. Um, and then obviously you get the, the, the Festool Traxor. Makita, on the other hand, have s- the same tools. Both are a lot cheaper. I've heard amazing things about them, except for Jordan, who used to be on the podcast, said that his Makita track was uh, bent. Yeah. There was a problem he got with it bent, that. Yeah. And, he, and he was always, yeah. He was always upset about it. So there, there's a, a YouTuber, uh, uh, Jonathan Katz. Noses. No. 
Gentleman Cats Moses, Moses. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I think it was him. He did a, a, a head-to-head between the Festool and the Makita uh, Traxor. And he thinks the Makita is better bang for buck. So, interested to hear what you guys have to say, if you, if you have any thoughts on it. But to the audience out there, have you used one or the other? And would you recommend or not recommend one or the other for Midasaur or Traxor? Right. I'll revisit the Capex thing, okay? And I, I was I went in pretty hard on the Festival Capex. And in hindsight, I think it's probably I had expectations of it that you shouldn't have of a miter saw. The idea of getting a perfectly square cut through a wide board is not realistic with a hardwood timber unless your blade is straight from the sharpeners. Like the second you use that blade for a week, the deflections in it, as the friction builds up in the blade, you you cannot get a perfectly square cut on a miter saw. I mean, I'd love to know if people have different experiences, but especially a compound sliding saw, the play that's in the rails, it just doesn't allow you to get that level of accuracy. So cross cuts should always be done on a (coughs) table saw or a sliding uh, on a sliding panel saw. Um, So. I think that was a little bit on me you know I'm not saying it's a crap saw and like I've had it for what eight years or something like that never had any major problems with it and it's fine for just doing I don't know some basic carpentry work or something but I think for doing fine furniture if you're expecting to get 90 degrees or or to cut miters on it like to to even cut miters for picture frames you're not going to get the best results it's got to be done on a sliding table saw where the blade will not move Mm. Um, so that's my opinion so if if it were me I would probably spend the money to get the best track saw that you can the one with the best motor in it the ones with replaceable bushes the ones with splinter guards all that kind of stuff and whether that is the Festool or the Makita I don't know because I haven't researched it or the DeWalt Mm. one's very good Um, there's another brand that I've seen somebody using I can't remember what it is it comes with a really really short track as well um you know, uh, Robin, well, I, well, I, well, I remember about it. I, uh, mm. oh God, what's his name? Uh, sorry, oh, Peter. Peter from a 10-minute workshop in the UK. Have a look at his videos. Pe- Peter Miller. Yeah, Peter Miller. Peter Miller. He's got yeah. videos yeah. and videos comparing track saws and what's what. So, I mean, I'd, I'd take his word on, on that kind of thing for track saws. I've never used one. I've got a sliding table saw, so I don't see that I need one. Um, something that occurred this, to me this conversation is below you yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> something that occurred to me Joey's while, just sitting back and smoking yeah. a cigar in the background <laughs> saying quiet um, while Brian was talking about mitosaurs it kind of occurred to me that I think if you think about mitosaurs in terms of they're made for uh, carpenters I guess I would say so typically people who are on a building site or in some kind of garage or something set up to cut boards that are going to be painted or in some other way fixed there's going to be some other measure by which it's just not going to you're not just going to see the raw timber joint i don't think it's a joinery tool and if you think about like making a mitre mitered box you're essentially trying to do joinery on a tool that's made for slightly rougher work it's not the roughest work it's not the finest work it's like a medium 
as an MDF of uh, of mitosaurs, and um, I think you can't expect to have pristine timber tim- timber on timber joints um, from that kind of tool. And um, I, it's funny you say this. I was in a shop yesterday and I saw a brand new Makita that looked like Makita had just ripped off the Capex and changed some bits, redesigned some bits and pieces, but it had all the bells and whistles that the Capex has got, but it looked way bigger and way sturdier. And uh, I don't know what model it is, don't know anything about it, but it looked to me like that's what I'd go for. I'd give the Makita, the new Makita one a try. It it's, looks really, mm. really nice. And it's probably half the price of the Capex, so. Yeah. But it's like, the miter saw is probably something I would use almost every single day in my workshop so i think it is an important tool for anybody to have and but just think of it as breaking down stock just breaking and, and, down and stock. this is and this is why i'm this is why i'm having this internal crisis about it because i can afford the best mitosaur so i should buy the best mitosaur but should i because there's no point buying a rolls royce mitosaur no. because as you say it's no. not it's not made for that job so the capex that i was looking at was around fourteen, sixteen hundred dollars but i can go to yep um you know one of the the major tool stores get the the makita for 800 mm. and and put that money somewhere else same with the track saw yeah um, now brian you've talked because you've got your your track saw as well you've talked about it being glue ready straight off the track uh and did i say everything glue that ready? i've Everything that I've read has suggested <laughs> that uh, you're going to be a bit... It's not. Okay. And that's why I wanted to double check. I think it's, it's me. I, I talk about I, again, my, I my think slider like it, that. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck your sliding table saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all jealous. But um, yeah, we just... You cannot... I, I don't think an Australian hardwood timber, I don't think you can get a glue line ready rip off a track saw. Yeah. Personally, I've never had that experience. And that's with a brand new blade or having it back from the sharpener it's like i would quite often even do it in two depth passes um or if it's really really hard timber and i'm worried about it burning um i will sometimes this sounds so counterintuitive but i will sometimes just do like a six mil or an eight mil deep curve cut and just go the whole way through it then nudge the track over by a blade's width and do my through cut so you get all that burning in there then I'll come back with a pattern bit huh. on a on mm. a big chunky router like the 1400 um, OF 1400 Festo that I've got and just take that 3 mil off with a pattern bit yeah. Um, because yes I find quite often even with a sharp blade and that's another thing make sure you get the right blades for your track saw don't think that there's one blade that can do it all. You need a rip blade and a cross cut blade. <laughs> no. um, and don't use a combination blade. God. No. <sighs> it just it will set fire to your timber. Yeah. If you're trying to do a cross cut <laughs> in in like on a Jara or Red Comb or something like that, it will literally set fire to your timber. Um but yeah, that's that's a tip that I would always use. If it is really, really hard timber, try doing that that uh, thin curve cut and then use a pattern bit to uh, sneak up on it but honestly I would I would save the money on the Capex personally go with a DeWalt or a Makita 
I would also say, do you need a sliding compound? Probably not. Like, I have used... I have done a compound miter, I reckon, twice. Twice in eight years of having, you know... I'll do some sliding miters, but I'll never do the comp- the full compound. So could you get away with just a straight up and down miter saw that doesn't which slide? Is, yeah, which is what I've had for the, with- for the longest time. But the only yep. reason I wanted the slide was to try and cut notches. But I guess, again, what we're saying is that it's never going to be accurate. Well, I use um, it for that. Well, no, that's not true. That's I do use... I do use the depth stop yeah. on the uh, on the capex to do it. It's not accurate, but it, you you just use it to remove yeah. the maximum right. amount of stock that you can, and then go back with like a router plane or something, and trim it down to a line. So that is very true. If you think you're going to use it for that, then go with sliding compound. If you're trying to just get some, like say you've got wider boards that you're hoping to cut, you can either just flip the board, cut halfway through on one side, flip it over. Or go for a bigger blade on your miter saw. So rather than going a 10-inch, go for a 12-inch. It depends. Yeah, which is what I had before. I suppose it depends, Robin, if you are still planning to be anti-table saw. Um, if, you, if, you mm. have yeah. a, if you have a table saw, it opens up more options for how much money you can save with the droppy, I think. Um, the table saw is in the medium future at this point yeah and that's why this is also i would say i would say save yourself the 700 800 dollars or whatever and put that into the table saw fund yeah yeah Mm. Um, Yeah, which is what i want to do uh, you know what i would do like i'm not saying you don't you don't have to buy the most premium table saw ever in the world like when you're first getting started you just need something with a square fence that's the most important thing square fence and a big enough motor so i would try to find something even if it's a, a good quality job site saw, just so you can get used to how a table saw works. The resale value, if you buy secondhand job site saw, like buy a half decent DeWalt one, or even a, a, a um, saw stop one, the resale on it, if you bought it secondhand, you'll pretty much be able to sell it what you paid for it. It's just if you buy it new, mm. you'll lose that used car tax. Um, and then move up to a full table saw or a sliding panel saw. I just think, when you ha- when you get that table saw, you'll be like, "How have I lived without a table saw in my workshop?" Yeah, yeah. I'd be inclined actually to go for a an old steel, like a something from the sixties or seventies, an old steel, big cast iron, big cast iron, not big, but a cast iron heavy mm-hmm. uh, table saw that's just really basic. It's just a big fat motor and a belt and a fence and it will be dead square and flat and it'll be perfectly fine and it probably cost about what a new a new one would but w- will work way better. And you could buy like a $200 drop saw, just enough just to just to get long stuff short and then you take it to and do mm. your the rest of the work on the table saw. Um yeah. It's just a different workflow. You have to get used to using the tool in a different way because um, more and more I've started using my my table saw is like the everything saw as opposed I used to kind of rely on the droppy because I came from a building background. Um, mm-hmm. Everything was done at the drop saw. And now I've transitioned finally over 10 years to like the drop saw sometimes gathers, gathers dust over the week because we haven't touched it. <laughs> so... Mm. 
Yeah, okay. Um, but, Robin, if you do go the old cast iron route, make sure you buy something that's got a miter slot in the tabletop. Yeah. yeah. Some of the some of the really yeah, old right. ones are just flat cast iron. Make sure it, like that miter slot will infinitely improve the amount that you can do with it. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I've got it in my head that I'll... I'll s- wait until I can afford a, a, the source stop cabinet. That's that's where I'm I'm setting it. Um, yep. If something else comes along, that's that's better. Fair enough. But I think from there, I'd be looking at, at panel saws, which are so way outside of my budget. You know, mm. that's that's long term future. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested to hear what everyone listening Absolutely. has to say. If there's any thoughts and opinions, yeah, head over <laughs> to our Instagram page. We post this and tell me how wrong I am. I'm sure there'd be at least one opinion. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's leave it there today, gents. Cool. Uh, I got to get back to my day job. This was my lunch break. <laughs> yeah. Ours too. Very different show <laughs> during the day. All right, guys. Cool. All Take right. It easy. Um, well, keep us keep us up to date on on Instagram, Joe, with the um, shop. Yes, I will. I'll actually Lots send pictures. some pictures out once things happen and progress and we get watertight and fun things happen. Yeah, sounds good. Righto, cool. All right, we'll see you guys next show. See you guys. Bye. Bye. See you, everyone. Bye. <laughs>